Hey, podcast world. It's the FNO boys again. <laughs> yes, it is, Rob. Yes, it is. Coming at you from Waco, Texas today, where we're recording in beautiful Building 2. At the same time, in the same room, which at the doesn't same... happen very often. No, and it's a pleasure to be in Waco today and to be recording with my friend and co-worker, Lee Boyd. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Hey, Lee, you know what? What's that? Today's a really special day. Why is that? Well, it's funny that you should ask me why, because we have a very, very special guest. Who is that very special guest? Are you sitting down? I'm down. As a matter of fact, I see that you're sitting down. <laughs> I am right in front of you. I didn't you even need I'm to down. ask you. No, you knew. Uh, but I'm doing that for all of our listeners. Well, I'm sure they appreciate it. Because they might think you're standing up. They would have no reason Or laying to. down on the ground. I could be down. Oh, you could be down. But I'm, I'm sitting. You're sitting. Okay. The CEO of 470 Claims, Matt Fothery, Matt D. Fothery, will be with us today. What a delight. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Big deal. Big deal. Now, as a brief introduction, Matt is somebody that we both know well, right? who we work with, and who we decided to put on the podcast today because we wanted to talk to somebody on the vendor side of the InsureTech equation. Right. Somebody who has actually used the software, the technology, the processes that make up what InsureTech is. And that is what Matt has done. Right. Because that's really where the rubber meets the road. We can go to conferences or we can have pitches from different insure tech companies talking about what all this is going to do and how it's all going to roll out and the kind of improvements that it's going to bring and the problems that it'll solve. But actually using it, it's kind of like when you buy software. Yeah. The salesman comes in and makes it all look like it's easy and it's not complicated and easy to use. Mm -hmm. But then when you're left with it alone, you have to start kind of from you know, turning the switch on, right? Right. I think it's interesting to hear from somebody who has been made the promises of what it's going to do, how it's going to affect, how it's going to better the process or the work environment, and actually seeing, does it all work? We'll also get to hear about how does he merge the technologies, I hope. Right. Uh, I, I want to know how does he use this technology and that technology? Right. And what's the actual outcome? What are the carriers like? Right. Because there is no one single solution in the insure tech world as it exists today. So how do you bold those together? And what's working, what's not, what's succeeding, and what's failing? I think those are important questions to ask. Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, you know, knowing Matt, I think he'll be very open uh, in, right. in successes, but then right. also in the failures and areas of opportunity. Right. And if there's anything we know about Matt, if you put him in front of a microphone, mm -hmm. he's going to be pretty comfortable. Very comfortable. No problem. So without further ado, here is our interview with... The CEO of 470, Matt D. Fothery. Hello, podcast world, and welcome to this week's episode of FNO. Matt is coming to us live today from Waco, Texas, where today we're recording the podcast at the home of 470 Claims. Welcome to our podcast, Matt. Uh, glad to be here. So I have a question to kick this off. Matt D. Fothery, what's the story there? I am a, one of many Matt Fotheries in my family. And instead of having the traditional first, second, or junior, senior, 
a couple generations back, they started naming us different middle names. So uh, my father is a Matt Phillips fathery. I am a Matt Douglas fathery, and my son is a Matt Kaysen fathery. We just spared him the Matt and called him Kaysen now because three Matts in the same room is a little bit, uh, little bit much at times. So he's not Matt C. He's not Matt C unless I'm mad at him. So. <laughs> Well, we're thrilled to have you with us today, and the real reason that we wanted you to be with us was to have an opportunity to talk with somebody who, in the claims industry who's active in actually using InsureTechs, using various InsureTech technologies and InsureTech solutions, and somebody who's not just thinking about it, but actually has a track record of putting it to use in the field or inside at the desk and who's had to fight their way through, I'm sure, some of the different ideas and products that are out there. So just to start off, tell us a little bit about your company, about 470, what you guys do, and what your reach is. Uh, 470 is a nationwide independent adjusting company. We handle claims in all 50 states. The majority of our business is on the residential and commercial side with a some minor, you know, focuses on liability and uh, and stuff like that, but mostly residential and commercial claims is what we handle. So you're a property vendor. We're mostly a property vendor. Okay, and you work for one insurance company, many insurance companies. How does that look? We work for many companies, anywhere from fifteen to twenty of the uh, top fifty PNC carriers in the country. So we've understood, and of course, full disclosure, both Lee and I work with Matt every day and are familiar with his work and his style. But how did 470 get involved with InsureTech? I mean, it's obviously out there for any company to take advantage of, to work with. What brought you guys into it, and how did you get here? We came out of some uh, winter meetings in 2016 uh, with our general partnership and, and really uh, saw the world changing in the claims business with all the emergence of all the insure tech out there. And we started early in 2017 uh, with just a really aggressive approach of going out and learning everything. So uh, 17, we spent a lot of time doing a lot of R&D on what was out in the industry. We went out and created a position that Lee Boyd fills in this uh, company right now of a, basically a innovation specialist, a VP of innovation. So 17 was a research and development year. We came out of that into 18 with taking all that research and development and really going out to our clients and actually going to market with some actually virtual adjusting programs. And we've been very successful in that today. So that's kind of where we sit in this world is in present form. So that's kind of the position that you guys have tried to take on in the industry is out front technologically. We uh, had the hope that we could lead that charge and be kind of the innovator and, you know, get first to market in that and be the IA specialist in that. And in looking back at 18, I think we've done that. At least from our tech partners, we feel like we have that reputation established. Our clients that have certainly used us uh, lean on us now to kind of provide that leadership going down that road. So I, I think from my standpoint, that was kind of mission accomplished this year. We positioned ourselves in the market like we wanted to coming into 18. So can you give us a survey of some of either the products or the services or the technologies, some of the things that you've touched, and you can give us detail or not, just uh, the types of insurtechs that you've played with? Well, I think when you talk about insurtech, it comes in different segments. 
the roof imagery with the drones and the measurements are a big piece because that's always been a situation where pulling tape measures and doing that kind of stuff led to calculation errors and stuff. So, you know, that's a niche that we've been in. Certainly the way the drones and the smartphones has enabled us to measure and do the, the imagery on the roof and the, even the sides of the buildings have changed. I think you get into some of the customer service features and being able to move data out of the field quicker, and that's the use of the smartphone and moving the estimate sheets and the photos up to us quicker so we can make better and quicker decisions and we can jump on emergencies. Then you start getting into the back end of the operation and all the data analytic programs now. So now we can take all this data we're getting and we can look at it and see where the trends are and stuff. So, you know, we've played in all the spaces and and really have tried to test everything out there. And, you know, coming out of this year is really trying to figure out where the best uses of all that technology are and who are in-class leaders of all these different segments and kind of putting that together in a more efficient plan. So let's talk about some of the lessons. I would think that there's probably a lot of lessons because I know firsthand that we've worked over 10,000 claims in the virtual environment. That's a lot of opportunities for probably a lot of really exciting wins and maybe even some painful failures. Let's talk some about those lessons. Well, I think drones are very interesting. They're certainly very cool. And I mean, you could go down to Best Buy right now and buy you any type of drone. Uh, I think the technology has a very small place in our industry just because the conditions have to be right. Uh, the operators have to be licensed. So we're a little bit more tied into to the specifics of that, I think when we get into the imagery, when we can get it off the phone, gives us a broad, broad use of that. So we've had some challenges with that technology and the licensing of the pilots and just the overall moving of all that data because with that technology, it's, it uses a lot of data. It uses a lot of photos. So, you know, you find system limitations as far as upload stuff, uploading back into the system. So a lot of that is very manual at this point. I think with all these technologies, what we didn't see was the the amount of manual movement of information between the systems and from the field back inside. And, and that's been the biggest challenge with all of this is trying to develop efficiencies in the labor part of what we're doing. The technologies are so new that a lot of the integrations are not built with the systems yet. So being on the front edge is great, but we had to get through a lot of the growing pains of we have to move this out of one system to another or into another. So that's kind of our struggles with something like roof imagery. So with the drones, it sounds like you've had a lot of use cases there where you've actually been able to, to test it out, you know, some areas of opportunity, of course. What about other aerial imagery or other imagery for the home itself? Have you had any opportunity within your company to try out a satellite uh, or, or phone type of measurements? Absolutely. We've, uh, we've tried both of those methods and have been successful with both. Uh, there's a multitude of products out there that use both the satellite and the smartphone. Most of it seems to still be to the exterior of the home where we're missing a lot of penetration in the market is still to the interior. I think we'll see some exciting stuff coming up in 2019 and some of the stuff we've tested. I think there's going to be some options there. And I certainly that's a, that'll be a big win for us because that is something that requires a lot of time. And obviously could be a lot of errors when you measure interiors and, you know, be able to get a 3d image and all the measurements that are associated with it and all the, Reduction of the openings is, is a very hot topic on estimating, so uh, that'll add a lot of value this year. Is it fair to say that drones in general, maybe the excitement is waning and the reality, though they're going to be useful and they are useful, 
maybe the use case for them isn't quite as broad as people first hoped? I think that's a fair assessment. I think there's certainly in a specialty market when you talk about crop insurance, when you talk about large commercial losses, you talk about really steep and high, there's, uh, you know, residential or commercial sites, there's vast practical use for it. I think for the typical home that you can get up on, I think there's some challenges there uh, just because of the nature and of, of all the complexities that it is of drone flight and and again, all the data that comes with it, I think there's probably going to be some better solutions with a smartphone out there that's going to be easier to use. So, Right. With the InsureTech market, you know, we've been digging into it for over two years now. I think about whenever uh, I really started looking into this industry and how I thought drones are going to change the world. Drones are everything. They are the number one thing that'll really revolutionize the way we do claims. And over the past two years, I realized there is such a niche uh, for them, where they work phenomenally. Uh, they can decrease cycle time, they can give you better data than than we can do. Uh, but there is a niche, and it's a very specific time. So I, I think that's a lesson that I've learned is that drones uh, are there, they are a way to change the way that we do claims, but it's not the solve all, right. And that's something that we've kind of learned is, there's not always the one thing that can solve every issue that we have. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think if you're looking at one piece of technology out there that probably can do all that, it's going to be a smartphone. I think there's enough out there now. I don't think there's one person that has all that figured out yet, but certainly there's three or four major components there that are being tackled with a smartphone. I think it's who's going to get there first and have the complete package that we can use from really the start to the end. And I think that's what we see. And it's interesting with us being early adopters of this is to, and develop the technology partners that we have, is we've been able to see their roadmaps of where they're heading and where they're going and are they hitting their target dates. So it's interesting as, as early as we got into it to see some of the companies we thought that would really be hot and be formidable companies now that have fallen off and new companies that have merged because we've been behind the curtain a little bit and been able to see that and develop that. So I think we're in an advantage in the marketplace that we have those deep-seated relationships with some of these technology partners. So is your strategic play kind of to be the company that can vet these things and provide the solution without a carrier having to invest heavily in time or money in the different products? I'll be honest, I don't know if we necessarily drew it up like that, but I think that has become certainly the biggest solution we can bring to the table. I think there is a definite appetite for carriers out there to use technology but vetting them and using them even internally with their own staff, there's a lot of obstacles and hurdles in that when they have to deal with their own internal systems and that. So we give them, uh, with our current connections with them, we give them a good opportunity to test all that without them really having to jump through that. And we can vet that and they can see what it looks like. They can kick the tires. And then if they want to go to the next step and adopt that internally, then that gives them that opportunity. And that's what we've seen some of our earlier partnerships with our clients, that's what's developing. So again, I, I don't know if we can take credit that that's the way we drew it up from the beginning, but that's certainly what it's turned into. And the technology partners see that, right? This is an easier avenue in to get a good pilot or a data sample into the carriers. And so, you know, we offer that doorway into that world a little bit easier. So I have a softball for you and a hard slider for you. Share with us some of your successes that you guys have enjoyed and some of the failures that have been difficult or complicated? Well, I think one of our biggest successes is that 
we have some really deep-seated relationships and partners with a couple of our clients that really have allowed us to be successful and allowed us to really open up the entire world of insure tech and really test that. And not all companies will allow us to do that. We can live in certain segments that they want to test, but I think we've been very fortunate. And to me, that's success when you have a playground as such and can can really vet and test and pilot stuff. Now, within those programs, there's a lot of failures. I mean, when you're going through technology like we were this year, things failed. You know, balls get dropped. You didn't see something coming. A technology didn't work. So there's probably more failures than there were major successes because that's just what we were looking for in those big pilots. And the great part about it is with the relationships we have, we made great progress through that. And within a few months, these programs got developed in whole. And one of the big problems that came out of this year that is looming is the initiative for 2019 is the technologies are great. The problem now is, in our view of the world, the process doesn't fit the new technologies that are emerging. We have a very old claims process. We live in a seven-day cycle time world in our industry. With the new technologies, I expect that we should be able to shave off days. We're just not able to do that yet. So the next step in the evolution of what we do is to now we have to refine process and workflows to cater to the new technologies that are coming to the table. You know, I think about all of these technologies out there, and I kind of relate it back to whenever the computer came out. You know, there were all these old processes, and then they introduced this new device, this new technology, and said, here you go, this will make everything better. But it wasn't until the processes were changed to match the actual technology. Am, am I right? That's correct. And we, we, we talk about integrations. A lot of these technologies don't integrate with systems. And the technology is great, but when you have to come back in here and touch it so heavily and move it around with labor and computers to do all that, then it takes away the advantage of the technology. Yes, it could be more accurate, but I think in our world, the accuracy is only one pillar of that. You know, we have to pick up speed. We have to reduce cost. We're in a very cost-sensitive world. So it all has to be looked at. And, you know, when you really look at the current traditional claims process that we still work through, the technologies just don't help the process. And we have to really go in and deconstruct what's happening and redevelop with what we have going. And it's tough. You know, as we walked through our office the other day, I think... As and then we walk through carriers' offices, the observation I made is that two or three years ago was the emergence of multiple monitors at a workstation for a claim examiner, right? Right, right. So everybody has two, if not three, monitors. The way I look at it, that that's too many. That was most productive because we have two or three, four, five systems we have to work in, but we need to be working in one or two systems. And I challenged you the other day that we need to find a solution to get back to one monitor. Right. Why can't we do that? Why can't we put it all in one system? Why can't it feed other systems? Why can't we refine the process and the implementation to make it user more user-friendly and speedier in here? And I think that's you know the general direction we have to. We have to uncomplicate things and build it for the new world. You know, I think about the technologies that are out there and they'll say, here's a new technology. We're going to save you time. We're going to save you money. And one aspect that's true but what we have found a lot of times is that whenever you add that technology to a current process, the savings isn't necessarily there because you are in multiple systems, your multiple touch points, the integrations may not be. So I think that that is very, very important to look at the 
underlying process of the claims and insurance market as a whole, and how can it be changed? How can it be updated to today's standards? And you're talking about a huge cultural issue. I mean, the process hasn't changed in a long time, and it takes just as much to walk in our organization and say, this is a process we've been doing for seven plus years. We're now going to completely deconstruct it and rebuild it and get in people's buy-in. It's as much as is working through your organization and retooling it and working through that change management and all that. And that's very tough. People, you know, have a tough time changing, but that's really where we are is this process revolution of developing new processes to feed all this new technology and keep up with the demands of our product, which is, you know, more speed, more accuracy and control over their product. So really the InsureTech product is the easy part, you know, using a technology in the field, say, in this case, is almost the easy part. It can be because all these companies are easy to work with. They're all very computer savvy. So they're all on smartphones, which are easy to use. Yes, the tough part is now bringing that in and making it easier on what happens in here. You know, there's a big focus on the customer being part of the claims process and whether that is just getting them the information they need, like who's going to show up at their door and what time the appointment is to maybe even physically not calling a customer anymore. Some people want to deal with text messaging. We have a whole millennial generation coming up that may not want to take a phone call. They'd rather deal with text messaging or a website to make an appointment. So all that's on the horizon. But if you don't start looking at changing the process, then we're still going to call the person and we're still going to do the same things. But we could add a technology that could text. So you're really doing two things there that probably are not going to speed up the process at all. So that's where you really have to look at segment by segment every touch point and say, if this is a technology we want to use, then does the process need to be completely broken down and redone to make it, you know, quicker and better and more efficient? It's interesting because one of the realities of this is more is going to the desk, right? And, you know, you bring up the point about culture. A lot of people who are experienced at the desk are culturally used to a certain process and certain ways of doing things. So I think it's a really interesting insight to talk about the culture. In fact, Lee, you'll remember that one of the pilots that we did this year, and we did many pilots, more than I can count, one of the pilots we did that failed, one of the insights that the customer had was, are your desk people fully bought into this new process? Are they on board? And I think it was a fair question to ask, right? I mean, it was a fair insight. Yeah, I think it is because just because this new technology is there and available and we say, hey, please use this, doesn't mean that the user is bought in. The user has to understand how it's going to work, what the outcome is going to be, and they have to want to use it. If they're just told, hey, you're a desk adjuster, you're going to do this process, it's not necessarily a win. And that's with any stage of life within our organization or within any company, right? Your employee needs to be bought in. Your customer has to be bought in as well. Uh, so, yeah, that is a change. Yeah, that was actually the biggest, probably our biggest challenge that we didn't see is going to find the technologies and vetting them and establishing the partnerships and finding the product is the easy part. Move it in, getting your organization to accept that, and then really getting them trained properly and bought in is a very difficult you know, labor intensive part. And that's some of our biggest growth opportunities this year. And 
I think it all starts with training and and then the overall acceptance that we are going to change as a company and evolve through this. And that's certainly, I think, as we got toward the third and fourth quarter this year, uh, that's been instilled in our organization that that change is coming. But I think the training is certainly something that we'll do a lot better job this year. And then obviously just the overall, you know, keeping the culture, you know, educated through the process of what we're trying to do and accomplish is, is an overall goal. Let's talk about success factors for a minute. I think it's fair to say from my seat that the greatest success comes from significant and sincere partnership that 470 has had to form really deep partnerships with some of our carrier customers this year in order to successfully make this new world work. Is that correct? Is that fair to say? Oh, it's absolutely. It was one of the keys of of the successful you know, year we had is we had a couple of really deep-seated client partners that bought totally in on the process. And so it allowed us the reach it allowed us into the insure tech world and to try things and, and to do that was absolutely key. And to where we are sitting today in December of, of 2018 is due to those partnerships. That's a great point, Matt. Let's talk about the people. Are people ready? You have Lee working for you as a VP of innovation. What have you learned from him and, and from working with the people on this product? I think some people are ready. I think there is an appetite for innovation and process and workflow evolution. Everybody wants something that's cool. Everybody wants something that's cool, but as the industry goes, it is not going to happen rapidly. And so we have to take a kind of methodical patient view and, you know, we're not going to push carriers into this. They're going to come when they want to. I think, our vision of this as we go forward is we need to be as well educated and versed in all this as we can. So when we get in a boardroom or a conference room in front of a client, we can say, what is your interest and be able to perform in whatever segment that is. Uh, there's going to be very few that are going to want the entire package. So can we do upfront handling? Can we do desk work? You know, what do you want to do on aerial imaging? We just have to, we have to be the best in all those classes and know everything. So then we, as this, transformation happens, which it will, which I think it's a one to five year process, depending on where companies are, that we're ready for that. And we can lead that charge. And again, I think we've established ourselves is that hopefully that testing ground to do that with all this knowledge we have now. I think our biggest, one of our biggest assets is just the knowledge we bring to the table to have the conversation on the good, the bad, and the ugly of all this. And you're not talking about small pilots of 10 or 15 claims. We've worked thousands and thousands and thousands of claims through these programs and, and piloted all this technology. So there's a lot of knowledge here. I think that's what we bring to the table in the coming years. I very much agree with that. I think two years ago and a year ago, the knowledge that we found, uh, just researching in conversations was very important. And now the knowledge from the actual work experience is invaluable. I mean, thousands and thousands of claims have been worked through numerous technologies, numerous processes, new and old. And, and we're able to bring all of that as a company to the insurance carriers as a whole. I think that is very, very important. One of the other things, that a word that we haven't mentioned yet today, which I hear a lot internally and externally, is data. We had one of our guests who said to us, whoever owns the data you know, has the most power. You can see that in the news every day with some of the problems with data that are out there. 
talk to us about data, about reporting. What's your thoughts and what are you guys doing on the data side? We actually uh, started with the data stuff pretty early on and making sure that we could account for that because we, we did hear that and understand that. So we rely heavily on data where we use a data analytic program to run a lot of these programs. One thing we've really put a lot of emphasis on this year is having the back-end system to collect it all from all the systems. And I think when you talk about process improvement and workflow, it's all about moving the data around and looking at it and being able to put that data where it needs to, try to eliminate some human touch. So I think it's a huge thing. I think it's going to be probably one of the biggest aspects going forward on our side of it is, is how to manage that because couriers do want that. They want us to hand as much of that back as we can or give it to them in a package where they can understand it. It's really become significant in catastrophe events where they need real-time data for setting reserves to for exposure levels. So uh, we were lucky enough to, to make sure that that has progressed along with us as we're developing the technology is that we're learning how to develop the connections and, and scraping that data into a massive back-end system to be able to go get that. And that's, you know, what Lee spends a lot of time focusing on now is the data, what it looks like. And that's going to push us into the next process and process improvements and stuff, because it's all about moving the data. Wouldn't you agree? I very much agree. It's all about the data. And as a company, it's very important to capture the historic data. So not just what's going on now, but to be able to trace it back weeks, months, and years and understand how the trends have changed, what was introduced, what new technology, what new process, and what was the actual outcome. Because we can all assume and feel certain things have changed, but without the data, we don't know for sure. So that really does lead to a process revolution, understanding where we've been, what did change when new technologies were introduced to the ecosystem, but yet, you know, merging all of those to produce the biggest picture possible. Uh, so data is very important. Every carrier wants to know that. Every carrier needs to know where is my claim, where are my claims in certain types and losses. So we as a company look at it on a certain level, but we're, we're much deeper than that. And, and you know, the, on the process side, we've seen it in our own pilots where we didn't take process into account is when we had problems. When we said we can send a resource, we can use the tool, we can get the information back to us, and we can do that all quickly, but it came into a process that wasn't built to deal with that, to use it, to maximize it. Yeah, and you have to be trained to be able to look at that data and stuff, and that's that's some of the challenges going forward is that training to be able to you know, look at the data that's presented and make decisions, you know, and, and we do that a lot now. We'll get into the room and look at our data and certain pieces of business and segments and be able to make business decisions. Well, the step forward in that is why are we having to get together in a room, four of us, and make that decision? Why didn't the data tell us what a trend is? And that trend then talks to the person that needs to make that decision. Why does it take four of us to sit in there and make that? And so, you know, that's far enough along in the process that the data really drives our business, but the data needs to be smart enough to trigger some of the events and take some of the management out of it. And that's where you pick up speed, right? That's where you pick up efficiencies. And that's really some of the challenges we have now is, is how to get that information to the right people so they can make that decision without somebody having to look at it and interpret that data. 
you know, we look at insured tech a lot of times between, say, an IA company and the carrier or the carrier and the insured. But insured tech can be so much more. It can be within your own organization. You can use it to better your organization, to see the trends, to see the blips on the map that you might have missed. But by using these different technologies, is that something you're currently doing or, or working towards? Sure. You know, our biggest resource is our adjusters, uh, field adjusters. And, you know, using the data and the technology on a daily basis to look at dashboards. And so our dispatchers and recruiters understand what's going. If they're if the dashboards and the data is built correctly and they know how to interpret it, then they should know when we start feeling pains in an area or, or maybe around the holidays, these, this area becomes a problem for us. And maybe it's just the weather or maybe that. So, you know, that's kind of where we are in the process of making that data smart and getting it back in. And the single biggest use of a we do now is through the adjuster performance and recruiting and dispatch. That's that's huge for us. There's a lot of data there that we can pull from all these systems to make a better business decision on where to put that customer file and what hands are the best to put it in to get the best product back. So Dylan, with data, there's always a struggle with different data in different locations and integrating to that. Has 470 been able to find a way to, to start pulling some of this data together and matching it? We are currently, that's our big initiative. We are uh, trying to move all that data into one spot. That way then we can correlate it and get it into a generic enough spot where we can pull that out into our data analytic program. So yes, we're in process. I, I think by the first quarter, we will have most of that done, but it's extremely challenging because all these systems talk a different language. They all have different fields. You know, you're dealing with a couple different estimating systems out there that have an enormous amount of data. So anything we can do to bring that in and give us a better look. Because again, we don't want to have to go into five systems to understand what an adjuster performance looks like. So yes, data warehousing and being able to get to that data quickly and slice and dice it and decipher it is, is really what is currently happening right now within 470. And I would say that is the struggle of insured tech. You have so many silo technologies that it's difficult to read all of them. To Back to the native estimating platforms, right? In America, we have exact maintenance ability as two major players. Uh, some technologies read to one and not to the other. So it can be very difficult to say an IA company who lives in both environments. Uh, it's okay a lot of times for a carrier because they operate in one. But if you are operating in multiple environments, it can be very difficult. Yeah, how do you gauge adjuster performance if they're working in both platforms? You have right. to be able to bring it in and look at it and and decipher through it and make sure that, uh, and they may not be good on both platforms. We have to figure that out also. You know, one for the adjusters that are listening to our podcast, they might be nervous, they might be hesitant, they might even be upset about 470's move forward into this world. What do you have to say to them about that? Well, I think there's always going to be a place for the field adjuster. I think traditionally there's just certain losses that you're going to have to have a qualified field adjuster out on site. I do think there's a lot of field adjusters that will have to make a transition and get into you know a virtual assist type of role. And you know, we are currently in development of those programs and to use their expertise to go out and, and give us the eyes and the data. And I look at it as a big opportunity for some of them because some of the biggest pain points of our adjusters are actually going back to their home or hotel and write estimates. The estimating is huge. It's tough. The carriers now are so different in what they ask from an estimating platform from their guidelines 
that I think we're going to use them better. We're going to use them for their expertise and knowledge and how to take photos and document. And then we can back up in here and write the estimates with a smaller group of people that are specialized for the carrier and deliver a better product, still use their expertise. My hope is, and some of the early feedback is, especially with some of our more seasoned adjusters, that they fight the computer and the estimatics so bad that this is actually going to probably prolong their adjusting career. So I can see how some people could be angry or concerned, but, but I think you can live in both worlds. And I think it actually offers a lot of people maybe some more longevity because it's become very tough from a technology standpoint to do this job. And so hopefully that'll give some of our more seasoned adjusters more an opportunity to keep, keep pushing on. So we always like to ask our guests, where's this all going? If I ask you five years down the road, which is incredibly 2024, what do you think? What do you see when you look out that far? Well, I think the carriers are all going to be in different levels or modes. I don't think everybody's going to get there at the same time. There's certainly insurance carriers that are ahead of the game versus some that will probably fight. I think it's going to look a lot like the auto industry. I think you're going to see a app-based application that the customer will use, the carrier will use, will use, and the communication will be better. I mean, the auto apps out there are pretty outstanding. I mean, you have a wreck. You get out of your car, you take eight snapshots and everything goes up. So I can see a world that looks a lot more auto-like. I think we still have an issue with it being property and the fact that not every house is built alike and the construction, but I think we're more app-centric and I think we're more customer-friendly. And at the rate at which companies get there is going to be the interesting part is who will emerge first. But I, I, I have to think it's going to revolve a lot around the smartphone and a lot more customer interaction and a lot less time between touch points with the customers, kind of the way I see it. And that's what we're geared for. Uh, one of our friends in the business, John Hall, says that he sees the future and the present as dealing with all of the exceptions that happen. I just had a really interesting experience. I bought a new pair of glasses from an online resource who I've done business with before. And there was some couple of little problems with the prescription and them getting the information. And I didn't ask this, but they texted me. They texted me. I thought, I think it might have been a bot, in fact, but they texted me. And we went back and forth maybe 15 times. And what I realized in that interaction was there's going to be ways where the technology is going to work and it's going to be easy and effective like, hey, what do you need? Do you need it to be right or left? And then you have one easy answer and it's over. But when the problems get more complicated or one-off issues, a text messaging can be a very poor choice to deal with the problem. So what I eventually did the next day is I called them, took care of the issue in literally one minute, but I also took the opportunity to tell them how aggravated I was that we were going back and forth and back and forth and it wasn't solving a problem. So does that sound like some of the issues you're dealing with and some of the future opportunities? I think so. I think we're always going to have that exception. I think that's why the field adjuster doesn't go away. There's just going to be certain things that we can't automate. We can't have the customer be the frontline person. So I think that's always going to live within our industry because it's just, there's just things aren't the same every time. So I think, sure, especially on the property side, on the property side is extremely difficult. So yes, I think, 
that we're going to have to, and that's that's part of the challenge in even working through the processes and stuff, is some of that's still going to have to remain fairly traditional. Can we do it better and more efficient? Yes. Can we impart some technology within the process? Yes. But we're still going to have that issue where somebody's going to have to pick up the phone, talk to a customer, run out there, take a look. They might have to write an estimate. That's going to exist. I don't see a world where that goes away. So, uh, yes, the exceptions are absolutely of big concern because those are normally the ones that are the problems that surface is how do you handle the exceptions? And so it's, it's, a, it's a concern going forward. We often see the technologies and process changing in the future in a way of meeting the, uh, the insured or the customer where they're at and what their needs are, right? So in that scenario, is text messaging where, where Rob needed to be met? And the answer is no. So using that logic using the past data historics to figure out where do we need to meet that customer to provide the best customer service in the most timely manner, the most accurate way. So process revolution. That seems to be a buzzword here in the last uh, few days. And I I think it's absolutely correct. And um, I do think bots play a a big part of the future and AI, you know, we're fairly heavy in that right now and trying to automate some stuff. And that's part of, you know, process and workflow through that stage and, you know, that's some of the stuff coming uh, this year coming up. And, you know, that's stuff that's a lot of it's internal and we'll be able to share with our customers and show our customers some of our initial automation on the front side of what we do is, is actually paying big dividends on some of the, just some of the minor automation we've implemented in the last 30 days. And it's significantly reduced some of the contact time and actually some of the adjuster, you know, re, you know, deployment and recruiting. So, you know, as we get into that and start dissecting, I, I think that plays a big part of where we are in 2019 and what road we're traveling down. Well, we really thank you for being here today and for walking across the parking lot to talk to us. It was a long walk from building one to two. So uh, I appreciate that and glad we didn't uh, do it on a cold, windy day. Thank you. Well, we wouldn't ask just anybody to walk across the parking lot because, uh, but you look like a pretty fit guy. So, what are you about to do when we uh, when we finish here? I am a uh, lunchtime workout guy, so I will uh, go down and uh, I don't can't remember if it's a lift or run day today, but I work out during lunch to uh, take a little break in between. Uh, it's a nice refreshing hour of going to do something else and think a little bit and come back for the afternoon segment. How about you, what Lee? What do what do you got today? Yes, I as well am a workout guy during the the lunch hour. Today is a uh, lift and run day. Very very excited. Well, I will uh, not keep you guys any longer. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Great episode. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Once again, wow. Great, great conversation there. What a well-spoken, intelligent guy. He really opened up the uh, curtains. He let us really listen to a few successes and failures and to let us know he doesn't have all the answers, but they're continually working towards it. Mm-hmm. It must be difficult. And let's, we'll take the curtain back. I mean, you've run many of these pilots. Right. It must be great when it works. Yeah. And it must be tough when it doesn't. It's is very that? disappointing when it doesn't. And uh-huh. A lot of times it, it's process, you know, uh, that, that didn't work. It's mm-hmm. a lot of times not the technology. It's mm-hmm. not the the human aspect. It's just the matching the pieces together. There was a disconnect. There was something that wasn't thought out. There was mm-hmm. something that was unknown. Mm-hmm. And it can be disheartening. But, you know, to have the support and the vision of moving forward, mm-hmm. that's very important. Mm-hmm. So how do you recover from a failure? Well, I think it's just really going to the whiteboard of figuring out what was the root cause, what happened, 
right? And building the roadmap towards fixing the solution the next time. Talking to everybody openly, trying to figure out where everyone appears as though the issue was, and then finding that true root cause and setting yourself up the next time for success. You can go into every pilot and say that we all agree this might fail and we're all great with it. But really at the end of the day, no one's okay if it fails. So we have to take the lessons learned and make it better for the next time. So you've had the opportunity to work with several different leaders in this industry. You've been in the industry how long? Uh, over 10 years. Okay, 10, 12 so years now. long time. And you've been a field adjuster, a manager, right. a supervisor, now a vice president of innovation. You've had the opportunity to work with other CEOs, right? both as an employee and as a interacting with them. I mean, what's, what's, what's your take on Matt? I think Matt's fantastic. He really gives a lot of leadway for you to make your own way uh, in this organization and also in the insurance industry as a whole. Always open-minded, willing to listen. But I love the vision that he brings. He's always 10, 20 steps ahead of the industry as a whole. Uh, and sometimes you can even say, are you sure? Whoa, that's pretty far out there. But he, he has a philosophy behind why he thinks that. It's not just an idea and, and has no grounding. He's a thought-out person, a very good leader with a vision. And really going in, into next year, it sounds like he has a vision for next year. Improving the process that all of these technologies bring. You have so many technologies, so many interactions, so much data that he's really determined he has to create the process to bring all of these together. You know, I love that because I've sat in so many meetings in carrier offices and on video calls and on conference calls, and it's almost never part of the conversation. Right. It's how are we going to use it? Does it work? What's the picture quality? What's the measurement quality? What's the product quality? What's the speed? What's the outcome? Mm -hmm. I think tends to be the focused, not how are you going to how are you going to get to a good outcome? Yeah, is really what what he was talking about today. That's exactly right because everybody's focused on the technology and they don't give the efforts to the process being thought out. You know, I visit with you a lot of times about really thinking about things. What is this decision going to mean two weeks from now or a year from now? How will it be interpreted? Process is nothing but that. You know, so we have to think out the process. We have to put more effort into a process of a new technology than the actual technology itself. Right, because really the insure tech companies are putting the thought into what does this do and how right. well does it do it and, and putting out a quality product into the marketplace. That's their job. That's their job. They're spending a lot of money to make sure that the product works. And I think that one of the things that we thought at first was our job is to use it. Mm -hmm. But that's the easy part. That's, yeah, that's the easy part. How do we integrate it? How do we make a radical change in our organization and for the carrier? How do we gather the data? How do we interpret the data? How do we merge the data with all the systems so we can give one single report? And how do we use it so that we can go faster, so that we can be cheaper? Right. And keep everybody in control. You know, the pillars that we identified long ago about our business, the three words, that matter are speed, accuracy, and control. And really what we're focused on when we talk about process is how do you do that with new tools? Any of the three of them. 
right? The accuracy is frequently built in with these new products. Mm -hmm. That's cool. But how do you do it fast? And how do you do it in control so it doesn't get out of control so that you have a failure? Yeah, that's the process. Mm -hmm. That's the part that you have to stop, you have to think, and you have to understand how to keep it in control. So it was great having Matt. Yeah. It, it was nice of him to walk across the parking lot. Long way. Uh -huh. He's very kind. Thank you, Matt, for walking across the parking lot. And we will see you on our next episode. When we leave this uh, original chapter of episodes, which was really about what is InsureTech, how, who's using it, how's it being used, where is it going, where did it come from, et cetera, the history, the future. And next we're going to start to move into real users, people that are developing tools, developing products, and different ideas about new age tools for the insurance industry. Sounds wonderful. Are you excited? I'm pumped. You look very excited. In fact, you're still sitting here. I know. I feel like I should stand. <laughs> Are you on your way to the gym now? I'm on my way to the gym now. Okay. I'm, well, I'm I don't want to keep behind. I don't want to keep you any longer. Thanks for joining us, Podcast World. Bye, everybody. Bye.